Warning, this podcast involves discussions of a spooky and graphic nature not suitable for children or the faint of heart. Strong language and mature content is present. Listener discretion is advised. You have been warned. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Tara and Jessica will make you. We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey Spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Tara and as always I am joined with my ghoul friend Jessica. Hello. Hello. And today we are starting another multi-part series. I swear, like, that's just becoming the norm (laughs) because we can't shut up. (laughs) It's our fault. We love research. Yes, in a good way, I suppose. We are starting a multi-part on the highly controversial death of Princess Diana. It was requested quite a few times, and we wanted to do it because in real time, this is a month plus before it's going up. So yeah, we're very excited about this series for you guys. But before we get into that, if you would like to hang out with us on social media, you can head on over to Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle there is at Three Spooked Girls. We also have a Facebook group that is amazing. It is called Three Spooked Girls official. And Jessica and I are both in TikTok. Those are also in the link tree. She's Spooky Aunt Jessie and I am Spooky underscore sleuth. Now, if you would like to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com backslash three spooked girls. For as little as a dollar, you get one bonus episode a month. Throughout March and April, we are releasing our like top four favorite all-tier episodes. Mm -hmm. We love almost all of them, but we wanted to pick like four that kind of really displayed what we got going on there. So if you're on the fence, you can definitely listen to those and that'll kind of give you a little taste. To and up, get Jessica Slaughter's movie reviews and plot lines. It's a fun twice a month segment where she talks about different movies. There is prizes involved. It's a good time. Check it out. And then at five and up, you get video content. So you get my once a month video on haunted objects and a coffee or tea recommendation. And we also do monthly live streams. And then we also have new virtual swag that start at two and up. So you can check that all out on Patreon. But with that, we are going to go ahead and take a quick promo break. We will be right back. It broadcasts at 1.38 a.m. from the very center of hell. October Pod. Finally, a retro horror show which offers to bold individualists a look into the maddening space between nightmare and nostalgia. True horror stories and found footage beyond anything you've tested. October Pod. Offered by OctoberPodVHS.com. 
in black and white and color. Caution. To avoid fainting, keep repeating. It's only on YouTube. Only on YouTube. Only on YouTube. Only on YouTube. Stream as much as you can. All right. Well, welcome back, guys. I'm going to hand it over to Jessica for our drink this week. Okay. So since we are talking about the ever-beautiful Princess Diana, I thought I would do a themed drink. There is not a Princess Diana cocktail, which I was very surprised at. Mm -hmm. I'm a little disappointed in the world of Pinterest, I'll tell you that. But I did find a Princess Martini. So, which is funny because it's pink and later in one of the parts, I'm not sure if it's, I think it's the next part. We're going to talk about her in a pink top. It'll be funny. Ooh, It'll be intriguing. I like, I like. This drink is definitely pink. It has gin, pomegranate juice, cranberry juice, lemon lime soda, and a dash of grenadine. So it will be sweet. It'll be very sweet. I love it. Well, since there's not a legit Princess Diana cocktail, we should make one up. I vote. So I agree. Yes. All right, y'all. So like I said, this is going to be a multi-parter. Here in part one, I'm going to give you the run through on Diana's background leading up through the craziness of courtship slash engagement slash crazy paparazzi, all of that good stuff with Prince Charles and whatnot. (laughs) And then Jessica's going to walk us through the infamous wedding and some of her family life that happens and things like that. So we're going to go ahead and just start. So Diana Frances Spencer was born at Park House on Queen Elizabeth II's estate located in Sandringham, Norfolk on July 1st, 1961. Her parents were Edward John Spencer, heir to the seventh Earl Spencer, and also, fun fact, the godson of Queen Mary. Ooh. Yes. And Frances Ruth Burke Roche, the daughter of the fourth Baron Fermoy. Now, Diana would get her name from like a great, 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 great aunt who was named Diana, and her middle name came, of course, from her mother. Now, the Spencer family has been prominent since the 15th and 16th centuries. They made their initial fortune with sheep farming. Ooh. I know. And according to one article I read, there was some other noteworthy family members that you all may or may not be familiar with, one being Sarah Marborough. She was Queen Anne's, quote, controversial confidant. And uh, in an article I read, it said she was played by Rachel Weiss or some shit in The Favorite. I don't know what that is. And the other being... Georgiana, Duchess of Devonshire, and apparently she became like a celebrity and shit. And she is essentially, if you've seen The Duchess with Kira Knightley, that's her. Oh, okay. I haven't seen it, but I know of it. Yes, I I know what the poster looks like because it's on one of the streaming things or was. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I totally know what it looks like. Also, Diana's grandmother, Frances's mom, served as a lady-in-waiting to Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother. So, obviously, they got some status. Now, Frances and Edward had had four other children together. Diana's siblings were named Sarah, Jane, Charles, and John. But sadly, John died as an infant, and this was about a year before Diana was born. 
Aw. Yeah. Charles is noted to say that the loss of their brother had been a big issue with their parents' marriage, stating Francis was allegedly sent to Harley Street Clinics in London to determine the cause of the, quote, problem. He also described this as embarrassing, saying, quote, it was a dreadful time for my parents and probably the root of their divorce because I don't think they ever got over it, end quote. Now, on the outside, as you'll learn, how things appear on the outside and how they are behind closed doors is very different with all of this. So on the outside, their childhood appeared to be happy, but we hear a different story years later. Diana said that one of her earliest childhood memories was that she was hiding behind a door crying after her father had hit her mother and that this was a normal occurrence. Now, Diana's parents would separate and divorce by the time she was seven. Originally, she lived with her mother in London during their separation in 1967, but during Christmas, Edward refused to let Diana return to London with Francis. Oh. Right. And they actually would legit close the doors at Park House on her, like in her face. Whoa. Mm Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, they would get into a nasty custody battle and go to court and all of that. And apparently, Francis's own mom testified against her. So there's that. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah. Within the royals and those right in their close circle, there's a lot of um, male favoritism and male privilege, if you don't know. <laughs> Just saying. You will, you will see much more later. Edward would go to win custody of the kids, and according to Diana, they would go over to their moms on the weekends, and by the time Saturday night rolled around, the night before they were to go home, her mother would cry because she was sad that they weren't living with her, and she said that she was just crying and being like, I don't want you to go back, and, you know, all of this stuff, and she said that this happened, like, all the time. While, on the other hand, her brother Charles had painted their childhood a bit different. During an interview, he had said, quote, Our father was a quiet and constant source of love, but our mother wasn't cut out for maternity. Not her fault. She couldn't do it. She was in love with someone else. Infatuated, really. While she was packing her stuff to leave, she promised Diana she would come back to see her. Diana used to wait on the doorstep for her, but she never came, end quote. That's interesting. Yeah, like, if that's what actually happened, that's really sad, but... It makes me think of whether or not, like... I mean, somewhere in the middle lies the truth, right? Mm -hmm, But it mm -hmm. makes me think, like, what if the story that her brother Charles is telling is the story that her father perpetuated. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. You know, Francis is an unfit mother and I and she wasn't there for you. I was there for you. Right. I could see where like a kid might be like, well, dad said this, so it's true. Right. Now, just a few years later, both of their parents would move on and remarry. Francis would marry Peter Shand Kidd in 1969, and Edward would marry Rain Ledge or Leg. I don't know. It's L-E-G-G-E. Countess of Dartmouth. And weird enough, apparently, none of the kids were notified or invited to the wedding or reception. <laughs> There's like, no, bye. <laughs> they kids. They noisy. I don't know. I mean... <laughs> I don't know. I'm kidding. I don't think It's that. like, you know, a distinguished event, though. So I'm like, they probably knew not to, you know, fuck around. I don't know. Now, according to Diana, Rain was a big bully and they didn't get along whatsoever. There's actually a note of an instance of Diana pushing Rain down some stairs. God, Diana. I know. I was like, oh, shit. I thought, I, like, when I first read it, I read it wrong. So I thought it was saying Rain pushed Diana. I was like, what the 
fuck? And then I read it again. It was Diana. And I was just like, oh, shit. Still. <laughs> right. There's throwing down the stairs. Apparently. So there's that. Diana has also called her childhood very unhappy and very unstable, the whole thing. Hmm. And flash forward to 1975, her grandfather would pass away, which would make her father the eighth Earl Spencer and her Lady Diana at age 14. And they would move to Althrop in Northamptonshire. And that mansion had actually been in the family since 1508. Damn. I know. So like fucking long time. And as a child, Diana actually had playdates with Prince Charles's younger siblings. So that's interesting because they have quite the age gap, which I'll talk about a little later. (laughs) (laughs) So they had gotten together, you know, from time to time. And in one part of one documentary, Diana was like, yeah, I just didn't like going over there. I didn't want to. Like, no. Also in her youth, she would attend a few different schools, those being Riddlesworth Hall and West Heath School. And she'd be described as like an okay student, not like super stellar academically, like not a valedictorian, but like okay, sometimes not so great, but like whatever type of thing. But she was very involved with diving, playing piano, tap dancing, and also ballet. Then at 16, she decided to leave school and she would be sent off to a finishing school in Switzerland called some name I can't even say. (laughs) So you can. (laughs) It's a boarding school, okay? Which when I was reading about this, it instantly made me think of Parent Trap when Meredith's like, I'm going to send you off to Switzerland. Meh, meh, meh. You know, being all bitchy. I was like, oh, that's what happened. (laughs) Now, before she went to Switzerland, she would actually re-beat technically Prince Charles, because obviously, like I said, she'd been around him some, but they have such an age gap, it wasn't like a thing. At the time, he was actually dating her sister, Sarah. And it's basically said that they had some conversations and it wasn't like a huge, huge deal. Apparently, they had went to like one dinner or something, but Diana was just kind of like, that was it at that time. So off to Switzerland, she goes and she's there. And then once she's 17, she decided to contact the Vacani Dance School to train as a dancing teacher, even though her passion was performing and deep down she wanted to try to have a career as a ballerina she blamed it on being too tall though and so she's like realistically this isn't really possible for me we'll get into her self-image and stuff as we go it makes me so sad for her because she was beautiful now in the teacher program because she would get in she only went to training for about a month one of the instructors madame vacani had said quote she went skiing and never came back i think she felt that the training three years and until 6 30 in the evening would be too all-embracing. She never gave a reason for not returning, end quote. But we would later come to find out that Diana realized, you know, her passion wasn't there to teach this. It was in performing. Right. So she's like, this isn't for me, which it's smart because so many young kids go through school, get these degrees, like, you know, just different kind of example, get degrees that they don't even give a shit about. You know, they're just doing it to please people. So good on her for being like, no, this isn't what I want to do. And it helped that she was a lady. And so like, if all else failed, she could just be a lady. But she uh, definitely strived to be more than that. So after returning from Switzerland, she worked numerous odd jobs. She worked as a nanny. She did random like cleaning jobs, other things for friends and whatnot. And then she also worked as a teacher's assistant for a kindergarten class nearby. And at this point, she would move into a flat with three roommates. And some sources said her mom bought it, but then other ones were saying her dad bought it. So I don't know who bought it, but her parents got it for her. 
Moral of that story. (laughs) (laughs) Same, same. Moral of the story, she's not paying rent. No. Well, flash forward to 1980, enter Prince Charles, blah, and their paths are going to cross again. Now, during that summer, they were both invited to Philippe de Pass's house in Sussex. And she said that, quote, he had just broken up with his girlfriend and his friend Mountbatten had just been killed. I said it would be nice to see him. We were talking about Mountbatten and his girlfriend and I said, you must be so lonely. It's pathetic watching you walking up the aisle with Mountbatten's coffin in front, ghastly. You need someone beside you, end quote. And... She would go on to say that at that moment, he essentially pounced on her and started kissing and which she was like, what the fuck? Like, that's not what people do. What are you doing? Type of thing. And then she said the rest of the night literally said he was following me around like a puppy dog. Which I think is interesting because like when her sister Sarah was trying to and then started dating Charles. She was the one chasing him. Right. Diana made the comment. Of, like, how pathetic it was that, like, she was, like, throwing herself at Charles. Mm -hmm. And then it's, like, three years later, Charles is throwing himself at her. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But speaking of Sarah, you're probably like, well, what about Sarah? Well, it's safe to say Charles is a fuckboy. We'll learn that. And (laughs) interesting enough, this is when Sarah allegedly told a journalist named James Whitaker that she wouldn't marry Charles, quote, if he were the dustman or the king of England, end quote. And Diana would say to friends later that this is what ended any hope for Sarah to get into the royal family, because obviously the queen's not going to put up with her talking shit about anyone in the royal family to the press. I mean, the queen in her right has every right to be like, don't fucking talk about my family like that, you bitch. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I wasn't talking like saying it was like me talking shit being like, why the fuck you do that? Mm. Like, no, you should defend your family. Right. So it's just like, you done fucked up, Sarah. What the fuck do you expect? (laughs) And it's not like Sarah and Diana weren't like royalty adjacent. Their father was an earl. Right. They were ladies. Mm. They had played with the royal family. Yeah. They fucking knew. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She was just pissed. This is just Sarah being bitter. Exactly. So at this point, y'all, we have 19-year-old Diana and 30-year-old Prince Charles. There's that. And they begin courting, essentially. So he's like inviting her to all these places. She gets invited to his 30th birthday. And and basically, majority of their courtship, I do have to let y'all know if you don't know, was them chatting on the phone. Like, they literally only met in person or had, like, get-togethers 13 times before they got engaged. And that's over a six-month period. So, like, they definitely could have probably seen each other a lot more than that. But whatever. I would say, yeah, I mean, I think that's how it is with the royals. Because, like, hearing, like, Harry talk about, like, how he and Meghan courted, it was very much, like... Before you're going to go public, everything is private. And so it was probably easier for them to talk on the phone. Yeah. What if that shit didn't work out? You're not going to walk down with Lady Spencer on your arm. My point was, you know, that's the way things is. It's just like crazy because it's like they didn't get to know each other. You know what I mean? Right. Like legitimately. So that was my point. And it was also common knowledge that uh, he was still in love with Camilla, who Jessica will tell you all kinds of fun stuff about later. (laughs) Uh, But the queen did not see her fit to join the royal family so (laughs) nope goodbye (laughs) so in september of 1980 diana would actually get to meet the royal family for the first time and this is during what is called the balmoral test now i haven't watched the crown but when i was reading about this every fucking article is bringing up the crown and they're like yes 
this is a real thing. Because I guess, like, people were like, do they really do this? You know, everything like that. Like, yeah, this really happens. But the thing to know with the Balmoral test is it's not just for potential future spouses. It's literally for anybody who's going to be significantly connected to the royal family, which makes sense. Now, I wanted to provide the most correct information I could, so I have all the tea on it, from the royal biographer Omid Scobie. Omid had stated that, quote, they call it the Queen's Balmoral Test, but I would call it more of a royal initiation. Out of those privileged enough to have been invited to Balmoral Castle during the summer, not everyone has passed. Diana famously flew through it thanks to her aristocratic background and upbringing, but the likes of Cherie Blair, the wife of the former British Prime Minister Tony Blair, and our current Prime Minister Boris Johnson have not. Those who successfully navigate the social minefield popularly known as the Balmoral Test are accepted by the royal family. The ones who fail vanish from royal favor as quickly as the Highland mists come and go, end quote. I love that. Obviously, this place is in Scotland, just FYI. It's very beautiful looking. And it's also now like the regular summer home for the queen, apparently. She like freaking loves it there and just is like goes and chills and lives her best life over there. Now, more tea on how these guests prepare. It is said that they, quote, have been known to go as far as packing brand new pajamas, underwear, and toiletries so that when a maid or valet unpacks their belongings away in their room, absolutely nothing can be judged and no negative word can get back to the queen, end quote. The ones that actually are thinking about it take all the damn steps, apparently. Oh, wow. But even though you're being put through these, quote, tests, it said you are made to feel welcome and you're included with the family and, like, the barbecues that are going on, all of the meals, and... Fun fact, y'all, this made my heart happy. If it goes well for you, the queen will actually let you play with her dogs, which are corgis. So that's fun. So if you don't fuck up and the queen don't like you, she ain't gonna let you near her corgis. Good for her. You gotta have standards. I'm here for it. (laughs) Now, as from the quote, we know Diana passed the Balmoral test. Obviously, no spoilers. We know they get married and all that shit. (laughs) But apparently, she describes the whole thing as just, like, exhausting. She had said, quote, The atmosphere drains me to nothing. I go up strong, Diana. I come away depleted of everything because they just suck me dry because I tune into all their moods. And boy, there are some undercurrents there. Instead of having a holiday, it's the most stressful time of year. It's very close quarters, end quote. So it kind of makes me think she was an empath, too, on top of the stress of the family, possibly. Oh, I would definitely say, like, when you look at her charity work later, like, people describe her as a person who could, like, actually sit with people and talk about their pain and understand them. So I definitely think she was an empath. Mm Mm-hmm. So she passed the test, all that great stuff. Hooray. So Charles is given the green light from the family on Diana. And of course, once it public, public knowledge, paparazzi are all over this shit. And I know Jess will agree with me, but I completely recommend watching In Her Own Words on Disney+. Plus. Mm-hmm. It's probably on other platforms, too. That's just where I watched it. If you aren't familiar of what this documentary is, it's literally what the title says. It's Recorded interviews done when Andrew Morton was prepping to write her biography in 91. And her friend, Dr. James Colthurst, was the one who recorded everything for them. So, like, you know, Andrew could refer back to it for the book. But some tea for y'all. When this came out at first, 
No one knew Diana was telling all this shit. Nobody knew. He kept that on lock, which I'm like, <laughs> bitches. You'll understand why later. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Emma Sarah. They even like made <laughs> the statement. <laughs> royal family made a statement that was like, Diana is in no way linked to this book. We don't know who has told. It was very like, we have all the faith in her. And I bet she was reading that paper, like shaking, being like, oh, bitches, if you only knew. <laughs> right. If you only Oh my god, yeah, I was dying. Okay, so yeah, pocket that. But back to the paparazzi. So, like I said, they had a field day with this. Oh my god. Now, I don't know how, I didn't know how else to phrase this because she's obviously not an average girl, but it's like she wasn't royal status. So she wasn't used to paparazzi. Like she didn't have to deal with that. And she Mm -hmm. was very young. She was 19 years old. So obviously this is just like a huge shock to be thrown into. And because it's fresh in my mind, it just makes me think to the paparazzi situation with Britney Spears. Because in real time, we recently recorded with our friend Elisa about that documentary on her podcast, Fatalities. So, like, that was in all in my brain when I was reading and watching this. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah, obviously, they follow her everywhere, including even without Charles, which is obviously a lot. Because, like I said, most of the time during this courtship, they really weren't together type of thing. They'd follow her when she went to work, everywhere. So... Speaking of the engagement, y'all wonder how this happens. Well, it is said that in January of 1981, so about six months into them dating, Prince Charles's dad wrote a letter to him and said he either needed to propose to Diana or end the relationship. He gave him an ultimatum. He's like, let's go. Pick one. (laughs) Fucking Philip. (laughs) He's like, no, you're doing something. Yeah, fuck boy. Let's do it. (laughs) So Charles decided to take the next step. But before the engagement happened, the two spent a weekend together and paparazzi flipped over this in that documentary, Diana literally talks about how she had to go like into the woods and she like hid behind a tree for like 30 plus minutes. So like they would hopefully go away. And it was like a whole fucking thing. I felt so bad for her. I was like, Jesus. But once she's like done with her weekend, these like fucking paparazzis don't give a flying fuck. They literally start being like, when are you getting married? And when is this happening? And da da da. And apparently Charles had said to them like, oh, it's coming. Ha ha ha. And then so they're like, is it coming? Blah, blah, blah. And she's just like her polite, cute little self. She's just like, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know. Just makes you want to hug her, I swear. Right? God. Yeah, and she's always so, like, literally, if you've never seen paparazzi footage of her, she's always so polite. There was a time when there was a horde of them around her car, and she's like, excuse me, I'm gonna get in my car now, I have to go to work, and, like, all the, like, just so fucking nice. I would've been like, fucking move. (laughs) Yeah, definitely, like, in her early life, like, her relationship with the paparazzi was very, like, cordial, and she would, you know, like, you could tell she probably, like, left I mean, she probably had to leave for work early because of the paparazzi, but, like, Mm -hmm. you can tell she put a little more effort into it and, like, went to her car and, like, walked slow. And because, like, she was, like, she was Prince Charles's girlfriend. So people were like, who is she? We want to see who this beautiful blonde lady is. And then one night, Charles calls Diana up while she's at her flat, you know, and says he has something to ask her. And I was like, oh, no, this motherfucker is not about to ask our princess Diana to marry him over the phone. He fucking better not because I don't know. I didn't even exist when this happened. So I didn't know for sure. I didn't either. It's fine. Yeah. I was like, this motherfucker better not. And thankfully he doesn't. But what like made me think he was going to was like the people that put this documentary together, they inserted her being like, I knew he was going to ask me. I knew, I knew. And then I asked my flatmates what to do. And then he asked me over for dinner. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) But good. (laughs) Right. 
So, yeah, he invites her over for dinner or whatever. And she's like, okay, cool. And goes over there. Obviously, she even says, like, she's like, I didn't know what I was going to do really at that point. So she went over there and then they sit down and then he asks her, will you marry me? And she says at first that she thought it was totally ridiculous and she was like laughing at him. She was just like, you're joking, right? Like this is not, this is what I thought was going to happen, but I don't, this is not a thing, right? Right. Because they obviously, like I said, hadn't spent much time together. All of this kind of like big-ish stuff with Camilla in the background. Mm-hmm. So, you know, obviously she's kind of like, what the fuck? But he's like, yes, I'm, I'm serious. And so she tells him yes. And she says that she tells him, like, I love you, I love you, because she's like, I was so excited, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just says the thing that makes me want to throat punch him. He says, whatever love means. I hate that so much. I do, too. And I was raging about it for a few days. And then I, like, had a moment of reflection. I don't know if anyone in the royal family has ever really experienced true love. Except Harry. With the exception of Harry. Yes. Because he, like, literally walked away from everything for her. Power to him. Yeah. But I think Charles knew what love was because he loved Camilla. Let's not get that twisted. He did love Camilla. Mm-hmm. But I think when he you're in that position, like, you don't have the luxury of real love. And I think he thought Diana was beautiful and that if he was ever going to have love, it could be with her. Yeah, and she even says, too, like... The way he said it at this point, it didn't come off like malicious or anything like that, you know. So Mm -hmm. because we know what we know, it just gets under my skin. So if you are into this kind of thing, you probably are familiar with what her ring looks like as this was the same one that Prince William gave to Kate when they got married. But for those that aren't, it is an 18 karat white gold with a 12 karat oval A-line sapphire surrounded by 14 diamonds. So it should have been Megan's. It should have been because it was left to Harry and Harry gave it to William and... I have so many feelings about that now, but I'll let you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's fine. My inside voice came outside. <laughs> <laughs> and fun fact, it was made by the crown jeweler Gerard, and he said he took inspiration from a brooch created in 1840 for Prince Albert as a wedding gift for Queen Victoria. Oh. Yeah, so interesting. It has backstory to it. And at the time, Prince Charles purchased it for roughly $35,000. Like, that's not pounds. That's conversion to US dollars, which in today's money would just be over over $101,000. So, you know. That's not that bad. Nah, nah. Now, a couple weeks later, so this puts us into February of 81 now, the couple would announce their engagement publicly, finally. It was like three weeks after when they actually got engaged. And during their interview about this, she's in a, like, beautiful, like, royal blue skirt and little coat thingy with a white top and a white scarf, and Charles is in his boring-ass suit, so whatever. During this interview, the reporter's talking to them, you know, if they're in love, and Diana's like, of course, of course. And then Charles says again, whatever in love means and she holds her composure and kind of giggles over it but she says later she was horrified he said this like in public instead of just like nodding but whatever like not defending him because i do not like him at all but like you pointed out if that was his way of thinking he probably didn't even think anything of it no like i looked at because i saw like the same clip because we watched the same documentaries Mm -hmm. like one of the things i don't know if it's in that one 
where they just cut it off. But there is one documentary where he just says it and then that's it. But I watched another documentary where the reporter asks him like, well, and he goes, whatever love means. And then Charles pauses and says to you or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then the reporter goes, a young couple happy. And he goes, oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was like a clarification. I just think Charles is an idiot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you want to, I watched the whole actual interview. It's only like eight minutes. It's on YouTube and it'll be on the sources page. But yeah, like I can see why she was probably like caught off guard. But like Jessica said, the reporter had the brains to like follow up and prod him more. Right. It was like totally fine. And like, even though I don't really care for him, like he was very nice and cordial and seemed happy during the interview and shit. So, I mean, it's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Now, I do want to mention that Diana is also known for her amazing fashion choices, which I'm not being sarcastic, especially the like revenge dress that comes up later. I just want that to be me right now all the time. <laughs> Can you imagine like her with today's fashion? Like, you know, they call her Granny Diane. You know Granny Diane would be, like, slaying the latest of fashions. Oh, my God. 100%. Like, queen for sure. So, engagement's out in the world, right? And at this point, Diana is officially moved out of her flat and into the Clarence house. And this is where she will stay until the wedding. After that, obviously, she'll move in with Prince Charles. And when she arrived, there was a letter on the bed from Camilla dated just two days before her arrival. Fucking Camilla. That bitch. In the letter, she's fake as fuck. She's congratulating Diana on the engagement and being like, we should get lunch. I can't wait to see the ring. Blah, blah, blah. And Diana was very smart and not stupid by any means. So she was like, what the fuck? But okay. Type of shit. She's like, uh, all right. I do. We gotta, we gotta talk about. There's one dress we gotta talk about first when they the couple did their first outing together she wore it was like still a nice dress obviously i get why it was like scandalous quote quote she wore like a really pretty like black strapless dress it was low cut but it made it worse because like paparazzi was up above it seems like Mm -hmm. especially the footage we saw so obviously that causes some issues but apparently charles saw her in it before they even left and asked like if that's really what she was going to wear and she's like well yeah of course and he was like well we only wear black when we're in mourning because that's like a royal rule type of thing but diana was like you know i didn't think that way because i technically wasn't a royal yet and you know i was 19 and i just thought this was like the thing to wear so she said pretty much get the fuck over it because she still wore it well i mean at that point they were like getting ready to leave like what was she gonna do (laughs) exactly exactly yeah because it's like as like time goes on she obviously has this extensive amazing wardrobe but she says like at the beginning she literally had like one skirt like just very not like what 19 year old is really gonna have a ton of fancy shit really like let's be real you know i mean other than a royal family member right right right. that's what i'm saying even for being a lady like no not a thing so right after this and the engagement and all this stuff, Charles is getting ready to go to Australia for a five to six week trip. Now, Diana and him were sitting there chatting because obviously like he's getting ready to leave and a call comes in from, you guessed it, Camilla. So Diana is polite. She's excuses herself to let them talk, but she doesn't go too far because she's like, I'm gonna listen in and see what the fuck's up. And she would end up hearing their conversation and her thoughts of what was going on. This kind of confirmed it for them. Like, yes, they were still a thing. This instance also illustrates, again, what we see as the public 
versus what's really going on. So during this time, Diana's in like this red coat, cute outfit thing, and she's crying when Charles leaves. And all the headlines are like, oh, tearful goodbye. She's going to miss him, blah, blah, blah. But no, she's literally heartbroken that her fiance is still fucking around. Right. As she should be. (laughs) People should know that Camilla is a married woman with children at this point. Yeah, she's not just single trying to steal him. Yeah. Right. Like she's married. She has two children. Mm -hmm. Like she should not be calling Prince Charles before he leaves to go to Australia. I mean, granted, you could be like friends and be like, I hope you have a a good trip. Mm -hmm. But obviously there was more to that conversation than that. Yeah. It was more than bring me back a jar of Vegemite. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. In the next episode, I'm going to read a scandalous conversation between the two. So y'all going to know. Yes, you'll get the tea then, we promise. <laughs> so like he leaves, whatever. And while on the topic of Camilla, something else happens I got to tell you all about. So there was an instance where Diana finds out that Charles was having a bracelet made for Camilla and she was like at his office and going to open the package up and somebody there was like, you don't want to do that. You don't want to see what's in there. Da, 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 da. And she's like, uh, the fuck? No, I'm going to open it. Fuck you. So she opened, I mean, paraphrasing, she obviously didn't say it like that. And so she opened it and it was a bracelet. So yeah, so just more confirmation for that. But there's some shit later. I'm just setting up the shit for episode two. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, (laughs) everyone's gonna be like, God damn it, quit saying you'll see soon. You will, I promise. It's not my research stuff, it's Jessica's. Calm down. Diana also describes their relationship as very hot and cold, as you can imagine. You know, she actually, after the bracelet incident, went to lunch with her sisters and said she didn't want to get married to Charles anymore. She's like, fuck this. But basically they told her like, dude, it's too fucking late. You're gonna have to go through with this. They were like, your face is already on the tea towels because when they were getting married, they essentially had like birch made is the easiest way to explain it. There was tea Mm -hmm. towels, there was tea sets. Their their faces were on fucking anything you can imagine. I'm pretty sure it was the same with William and Kate. I don't remember it being with Harry and Megan. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't know. I don't even remember with Will and Kate either, but I'm sure. So. Oh, they I remember because like Tara made me stay up to watch the <laughs> the boring ass William and Kate wedding. We watched it together at my house with one of our other friends. I remember people being like, and commemorate this day with their, and I think it was like, they could actually like, you could get like the day of merch. Like it was like her and her wedding dress them together, mm-hmm. that kind of shit. But I mean, the royal family knows how to like make merch for sure. Can I tell you what my favorite thing was out of all the merch? It was the fucking cardboard cutouts that waved. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> that people were putting in their car. I loved it. And like driving up to the church with like <laughs> and them and it was just like to the best describe it, it's like you know those like back windshield wipers? People can't see what we're doing. It's yeah. the same thing, but like they were just like yeah. little like smaller movements. The hand. Just like a little <laughs> like half a forearm and a hand, just like doo doo doo. Yeah. It's the funniest. You guys gotta watch this documentary. It's really good. And then you can see that. <laughs> it's amazing. I was like, it might, it might. at first I was like, when I saw it, I was like, wait. Is this like a dry like a dry run of the wedding? Yeah, I was just so confused. But then I was like, no, because they went in carriages. And this is definitely a car. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Now, <laughs> we're going back away from that stuff. I swear I'm fine. Okay. So, for the local society, I would say and like all the, you know, distinguished people, the real first event that really kind of like put her on the map as a style icon, not being just like, ooh, scandalous, slow cut, dr-, you know what I mean? Like they mm. were with it type of thing 
was the day of the Royal Ascot races. This was about a month and a half before the wedding. She was wearing like a peach outfit and it had like a white ruffle collar. And then she had those, you know, those hats that they always wear. Like I just think of Will and Kate's wedding when everyone wore those like crazy hats, but it's like one of those white hats and it had, this hat wasn't too crazy. No. It had like a peach ruffle poofy thing on top that like also was on the bottom of the brim too. I don't know how to totally explain it, but like poofy peachiness. Everybody loved it. Imagine there was like a hole in the yeah. in there and they just put like a pom-pom and it was like halfway between. That's how I thought it was. Exactly, exactly. But everybody loved it. Everyone loved it. Because it wasn't like the style anyone was wearing. No. And then like no one was wearing it and then she wore it and then everyone was like, I must have this hat. Mm-hmm, exactly. Now, something I haven't mentioned yet, but I am going to now, is shortly after their engagement, sadly, Diana would begin her struggle with bulimia. This is a big thing with her story. What had triggered this was Charles had like his hand around her waist and it had said, quote, oh, a bit chubby here, aren't we? End quote. I mean, Prince Charles looks like at the time could have eaten a Snickers or two, but like, like needed to eat a Snickers or two. <laughs> she looked like a normal human. Yeah. So because of this, she began binging and purging. And she also said that when she first started, just because of the mindset she was in, it was like a release from all of the stress and tension. It was like something she could control. But she would, as we go on, deal with a serious, serious battle of self-esteem issues and negative self-image, which is just so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. So... A week before the wedding, she went to try on the dress and she had to get it taken in by like several inches because she had lost so much weight by this point. Yeah, her waist went from a 29 to a 23 and a half. Yeah. Now, of course, with all of the stress in her life, she says that Charles wasn't supportive at all and, you know, royal family either. She said that she was having to deal with it all alone, which... That by itself, you know, it just, it's heartbreaking, you know, and it's fucked up, but it's like, I guess we can't be surprised, whatever. Right. But still, then the the more fucked thing is that one night Charles has the fucking nerve to call her and be like, Camilla's having a hard time with the press. And Diana's like, oh, like, I'm so sorry to hear that. How many are bugging her, following her around, whatever? And he says four, four paparazzi. And she's literally sitting by her window and she's like, oh, well, there's like literally 32 plus outside my window right now. So yeah. Like they rented (laughs) the flat across the street Mm -hmm. so they could stare out at her. All the time. Mm-hmm. So just four days before the wedding, Diana was at a polo match for Charles and, you know, she was having all of like her nerves. She was dealing with all this stuff. There was a lot of pressure. You know, she did not like all of this attention and she very much had the mindset of like, why me? Why do they give a shit about me? Like all of this stuff, you know? And so she just needed to get the fuck away from the paparazzi. She like needed a fucking minute because it's overwhelming. And of course, again, here's our theme, you know, paparazzi didn't think like, oh, it's our fault. They were like, oh, it must be because of the wedding. It must be pre-wedding jitters type of shit, you know? They weren't even being rude about it. It was just like, oh, that's just what they assumed. It's like she was legit having a panic attack. Yeah. And they were like, oh, she must be nervous about her big walk down the aisle. It's like, no, you're standing there pointing a camera at her and snapping pictures. There's a reason she's not feeling well. 
Right. And I will give credit because there's an interview with Charles after and he's defending her and stuff. And he's like, well, obviously, it's not going to be fun to watch this shit while y'all are in her face. (laughs) I believe he called Polo boring, (laughs) which (laughs) I was like, dude, you play it. The way you play it's not boring because you don't stay on your horse. Well, I mean, it was more like it's boring to watch, but I'm sure it's more entertaining to play. So whatever. Oh, I would hope. I mean, you're you're galloping on a horse with a big wooden mallet hitting a ball. True, true, true. So they would have multiple rehearsals, obviously, because it's like a whole fucking thing with royal weddings. And the last rehearsal would be two days prior at St. Paul's Cathedral. And Diana said she cried a lot at the rehearsal to kind of like get all of this out because, again... Just so much piling on her, you know. Mm -hmm. And she also notes that she had binged really, really bad the day prior to her wedding. And she's like, it really wasn't a secret. People kind of like knew what was going on, but no one really was doing anything to help me at that point. Right. And then she says, you know, it is what it is. I am essentially, I felt like the sacrificial lamb heading off to the slaughter. And with that, I will hand it over to my friend here so she can tell us about this wedding. Yes. So Prince Charles and Princess Diana were married on July 29th, 1981, with an estimated 750 million people watching worldwide. That's like a fucking crazy ass number. Right? I know. I think it's like one of those things where like people don't realize that they got engaged like February 6th of the same year and then five months later were married. That's so fast. Like I got engaged in January and got married in November and I felt like rushed. I mean, like Tara said, or the day before her wedding, she binged eat a lot. And she said that basically, like, she was just walking around her flat, eating everything that she could find. Her sister thought it was funny. Like, for me, I was like, okay, she ate all of this, but then didn't have a food baby. I would have been like, where did that go? Now, before I go any further, I kind of have to talk about Camilla a little bit. Give you a little background. Yep. Yeah. So Camilla and Charles met, ironically, at a fucking polo match when Charles was 21. So like 10 years prior to this. And it said that Charles fell almost immediately like head over heels in love with Camilla, which is weird because their first conversation ever was talking about how her great great grandmother was the mistress to his great great grandfather. Oh. Yeah. King Edward VII. And apparently they thought this was super funny and blah, blah, blah. Now, Tara did mention that the family, like the royal institution, did not find Camilla to be appropriate a wife for Charles because of the fact that she had a dating history. They wanted their queens to seem virginal, even if they weren't. They wanted them to seem, which may have been why Charles was drawn to Diana is because it was said that she didn't want to date. Like she didn't have time for that shit. She saw all of her girlfriends at school and all the drama they would have. And she was just like, I don't want that. So maybe he looked at her and went, well, she's never really had a relationship before. So if people dig into her past, they're not going to be like, well, she's a dirty tramp who screws everything with, you know, with everything. I don't know. I'm trying to, I was going to say with three legs, but then I (laughs) didn't know that was going to be a weird (laughs) joke that no one got. So basically, you know, they let Charles know, like, Camilla is not an option. And she was, at the time that they met, was dating her husband, Andrew Parker Boyles, or Boyles Parker, I can't remember whichever one it is. And then he went off into the army, and then her and Charles dated. And then Charles went off for the Navy, the Royal Navy, for like eight months. And then when he came back, Camilla and her husband were engaged. So it's like... If Charles had been serious about Camilla, Camilla should have waited the eight months. 
but she didn't. And I don't know if this was like a move on her part. Like, ah, there's someone else I could marry. Don't want to lose me. But that didn't really like change anything. And it is said that her husband was aware of their relationship. Another really weird shit. Charles is the godfather of Camilla's son, Thomas. Oh, okay. Weird. So it's like they would stretch like so that would make sense. Like when he would say, like, okay, like you're very close to the person that you make the godmother or godfather of your child. In a way, Camilla was solidifying the two of them always being because he would have to go to birthday parties. He'd have to be around her son, which meant he'd have to be around her. So it was very in my opinion, it was very fucking strategic. So right before the royal wedding, there's some other things that happen. Tara mentioned the gala ball that they went to where she wore the inappropriate dress, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. The night before the wedding, there was a party of 150 people that included heads of states and other governments. And they were invited to dine with them and the queen because this is all strategic. And then we talked about the fact that, like, she binged eat and then got sick that night. And she said that was, like, the sickest she'd ever been. So I'm imagining her just, like, throwing up and throwing up. And I can understand where people might be like, oh, she's nervous, she's nervous, she's nervous. So she's, like, eating and it's making her sick and she's throwing up. But after a while, I'd be like, maybe you should stop eating. Right. Like, hydrate you. <laughs> you know, you should go to bed. She said that she woke up the day of her wedding, which I believe was, like, a Wednesday. Yeah, it was a Wednesday. So random. Right. That she woke up on a Wednesday and she felt deadly calm. Those were her exact words. And she knew that that was the day that her old life ended and this was her new life. She started getting ready and putting on that massive fucking dress that we all love. I mean, I that dress is iconic, but that had to be, like, my dress was heavy. Yeah. Her dress had to be, like, gravitational pull to the floor heavy. Right, I know. So the dress was made of an ivory silk taffeta with antique lace, and it had a 25-foot train for our listeners in any other part of the world. That's a 7.6-meter train. Wow. And it had a hundred. 153 yard tulle veil. No, thank you. Like, she looked great, but like, no, thank you. I don't want oh, that. I would not right? want to wear that. <laughs> there would have been so much temptation for me as a person as she like walked past to be like, what if I just put my like shoe on this train? How long will it take for her to like, you know, <laughs> feel it? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't do the conversions from pounds to US dollars, but her dress was valued at $9,000, which I was like, oh, that's not bad. But today is a $34,000. And the previous royal wedding of like a future like ruler of England, Queen Elizabeth used like ration stamps or whatever to buy her her wedding dress. Mm -hmm. And just so that you all know, her dress has its own wiki page. Damn, as it should. As it should. Like, how many people are like, (laughs) my wedding dress has its own fucking wiki page? (laughs) The dress was made and designed by David and Elizabeth Emanuel. And basically, they were like, this dress has to go down in history, but it has to be something Diana loved. And they wanted it to be like, suitably, this was their quote, suitably dramatic in order to make an impression. You two nailed that on the head. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. When we think princess, we think princess die. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So the bride wore, like, the jewelry they wore, she wore was a family heirloom tiara. And it basically sat, like, cheating on her tulle because basically her veil went down and they just stuck the tiara on. So no, like, actual clips into the head. She actually had her hair cut shorter 
by her hairdresser, whose name was Kevin Shanley. She wore low-heeled Clive Stinton shoes that she had hand, or I don't know if she hand-painted, or I'm assuming someone else hand-painted, the initials C and D in the arches, which that is cute. Mm -hmm. The customary bridal tradition, which is the something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Her dress had the antique lace, which made with a fabric spun at a British silk farm, which was the something old. The tiara and the earrings were borrowed from her mother, so the something borrowed. And the blue was sewn into the waistband. There was a bow that was sewn into the waistband that was blue. I thought that was cute that they upheld this. Yeah. I'm assuming the something new is the dress because that's the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Charles wore his full naval commander uniform. He wore the stars of the Order of Garter and Thistle, and then the Queen's Silver Jubilee Medal, and the Royal Cipher of the Prince of Wales in a gold epaulets on his shoulder. And he also carried the full dress sword with so that was like embossed or tasseled with gold. So he was also fancy. Mm-hmm. Diana would arrive at St. Paul's Cathedral, which is like basically where everyone gets married. If you're a royal, which is where Kate got married. And I'm pretty sure Harry and Meg got married there as well. I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She arrived in the famous royal glass carriage and she was accompanied by her father, John Spencer, the eighth Earl of Spencer. Which I love that it's like... <laughs> their last name is what they're the Earl of. I always love it when it's like John Smith of Edgington. And you're like, that's not close. <laughs> it said that 2 million spectators lined her route from her flat at the Clarence house all the way to the church. And that there were 4,000 police and 2,200 military officers wow. like in the crowd managing it. So like a shit ton. Her and her father would arrive at the stairs of the church. They stopped and waved to the crowds in the camera. And then they proceeded. As she walked down the aisle, an orchestra played. As the orchestra played, it took her three and a half minutes to walk down that aisle. And as John walked her down the aisle, you can see Diana gazing from side to side. And at first, everyone assumed she was just taking it all in. It was that day. But no, no. She, in reality, was looking for that bitch Camilla. Mm-hmm. Because that bitch Camilla... She's fucking there. Yeah. Right? And she found her. And Diana said that she'll never forget when she saw her. She was wearing a gray dress, a gray veil, and a gray pillbox hat. And her son, Tom, was standing on a chair. I don't know if I could do that. Like, I don't know if I could walk down the aisle and look at the woman my future husband was banging. Yeah. Diana dealt with a lot of shit. Right. The ceremony was a traditional Church of England ceremony, wedding service. And it was presided over by the most reverend Robert Runcie, Archbishop of Canterbury, and the very reverend Alan Webster, Dean of St. Paul's Cathedral. They have some fun titles. Right? <laughs> I'm the very reverend. <laughs> the wedding would cost an estimated $48 million, and that would be about $110 million today. Dang. And an additional $600,000 oh, for security. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Diana would accidentally change the order of Charles's name during the vows. Instead of saying Charles Philip Arthur George, she would say Philip Charles Arthur George, mm-hmm. which I think is funny because did she really marry him if she said his name wrong? <laughs> <laughs> the couple opted to not say like to honor and obey, which apparently was like at the time everyone was like, excuse me, say what? 
Mm-hmm. Big thing. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to say that. And they did not. But Diana wasn't the only one who made a little mistake on their wedding day, though Charles did say her name correctly. Granted, <laughs> <laughs> she had like a normal name. Yeah. <laughs> it was like Lady Diana Francis Spencer. Mm-hmm. And she had to remember that more. Yeah. But what his mistake was, he would offer her his worldly goods. He said, thy goods. Which I was like, he just went old school, guys. <laughs> the couple would have the traditional wedding band, which was Welsh gold, which I thought was cute. So they went traditional. And upon their marriage, when they said, I do, she officially acquired the title of Princess of Wales. Oh, and by the way, the gold band, like where they got them from, dates back as a royal tradition back to 1923. That's cool. So it was like a thing. Hmm. Then, like, after that, because she had, like, 3,000, 3,500 guests at her wedding. After that, there was, like, a reception back at Buckingham Palace for about 120 people. And they called it the wedding breakfast, which she joked later that it was more like lunch because it was in the afternoon. And this is where they were, like, taking pictures. And Diana kind of indicated that she didn't really feel like she was part of this. Like, she kind of felt like she was standing around waiting for people to tell her what to do. And they weren't really considering her. They were considering Charles. Well, that's because that's who they've dealt with. Mm -hmm. It is traditional that the new married couple go out onto the balcony and kiss one another. So they did that at Buckingham Palace. They went out onto the, the balcony and they kissed. And then that was like, for all of England, that means like, we're officially married. It was cute. Mm-hmm. They're big poofy sleeves. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> Love it. Diana's dress would actually go on to be part of like museum shows and things like that. And it's actually traveled the world to have it be looked at. That's cool. Yeah. Then at the end of the day, they would have a fireworks display at the end of the night above Hyde Park and a hundred beacons were lit up across the country to celebrate the royal wedding. That's cute. So then they would leave to go to their honeymoon. And I thought it was really adorable because like Prince Andrew and Prince Edward, who are Charles's like younger brothers, tied or like put a sign on the card that said just married. Hmm. So it kind of made me be like, that's normal stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. like this is what people normally do. Mm -hmm. And then the couple, they drove over Westminster Bridge and they basically dipped out to go on their honeymoon and... They would go up to the Broadlands, as it said, to a place where Prince Charles's parents spent their wedding night. So it's a little weird, but a little traditional. So it is what it is. They would stay there for like three days and then they would fly, basically meet the Royal Yacht Britannia. And they would go on an 11 day cruise through the Mediterranean and they would go to like Greece and Egypt. So super fancy. Diana at first was like really excited. She was like, oh my gosh, I was really excited. It's my wedding. It's like my honeymoon. We're going on a yacht. And then was very disappointed when Charles brought eight books (laughs) for an 11 day cruise. Now, I don't know about you, but like if you bring eight books for an 11 day cruise, you plan to read a lot. Right? Like I can see like one, maybe two. Maybe two. But not eight. Maybe three if you're unsure of, like, the options you're bringing. Right. Right? But eight? Jesus. That's almost right. a book a day. And he read all eight books. <laughs> and and she basically said in, the, in her interview that when they were spending time together, like, eating or stuff like that, anytime they were really supposed to have, like, alone time, they were reading. <laughs> it wasn't romantic. <laughs> if she wa- wasn't sure at this point, this should have been her first clue that this is not about passion. This is about business. Oh, yeah. She literally said, like, all hope was dead by day two. Charles is an idiot. 
first and foremost. They were having dinner, and she looks down at his wrist, and she sees a very interesting set of cufflinks. Mm-hmm. And they're basically these two Cs that are intertwined, and they kind of look like the Chanel logo, but a little different. And she immediately was like, fucking Camilla gave him that. And she asked him and he didn't deny, like, I want to give him this. Like, he's an idiot and he's a cheating dirtbag, but he's an honest cheating dirtbag. He fesses up to it. I mean, kind of at this point. She says, did Camilla give you those? And that could have been a very easy lie. He could have said, no, they stand for Charles. It makes sense. I've seen a lot of people who do stuff like that. Like, I have a friend whose first name starts with C and she does, you know, CC like like that, mm-hmm. like the Chanel. Yeah. But he told her. No, they were a gift from Camilla. And Diana was like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh. And he's like, look, we're good friends. He probably said something like, I'm the father. I'm the the father. I am curious (laughs) whether he's really the father. Uh, Have theories. (laughs) But like, I'm the godfather of her son. Like, this was just a friend gift. I didn't think anything of it. Like, I'm newly married. I just grabbed some cufflinks. These are nice. Like, I can see where like, he may have spun it off like that. Mm -hmm. But she's like, okay. So then after their honeymoon, they flew to Scotland, which is their first kind of like royal visit slash tour, where the rest of the royal family had already been. Mm -hmm. And they flew to the Balmoral Castle, and they spent time there at a hunting lodge, which is interesting because Diana did not, she was not a hunting girl. She was never going to be a hunting girl. And she had like asked Charles not to hunt, and... That backfired because guess who likes to hunt? Oh, I wonder who. Hmm. That bitch Camilla. (laughs) It's like the tagline for this fucking episode. (laughs) For reals. But while they were there, they had arranged for like a photo opportunity, which is what the family does. They tell the press because for a really long time, I think they have this really great relationship with the press, the royal family, and they could go and be like, okay, we're going to go on vacation and we will come out for like three hours on this day and you can come ask us questions and they were very accessible and then they would go you know and then the press was supposed to give them their space for the rest of the trip which i think is a very good compromise mm-hmm. you know charles and diana did and charles wore a kilt which i was like they looked so cute together like the outfits that they wore yeah. it was so adorable and like they were sitting there and they were talking and they asked her about her married life and she said she would highly recommend it and then they asked if she had cooked a breakfast yet and she was like i don't eat breakfast which i thought was like at first because i remember my mom being like oh no she wasn't very like wifely i'm assuming that this came from that like also my mom told me this weird story i don't know why this popped in my head right now that like when diana became princess diana she went into the kitchen to get like orange juice and they were like ma'am you can't get your own orange juice and she was like okay and then she went to the gym and they were like ma'am they had to assist her and i'm like i don't really feel like the royal family is that looked after yeah i have a feeling they could get their own i mean they probably don't do their own fucking laundry Mm -hmm. but like i'm sure they can get their own orange juice right uh so they did that and the press found diana very charming which is like the first time because like you know the family generally gives these like one quippy lines and i feel like charles was like the funny one in the family because he would give these like quippy little lines and finally there was like someone equal to him and so i think their chemistry was really good in front of the press and i think people the press was eating it up talking about these beautiful young couple that they're in love that they're coming back to the family after a honeymoon and i think like diana fit because it is no secret that (laughs) queen elizabeth is married to her cousin i don't remember how distant but it's not as distant as i'd like it to be Mm -hmm. and after a while of family inbreeding like that your genetics start to break down 
And Charles's generation is a little homely. I hate to say it. I'm sorry. I had to say it. And then there's this beautiful Diana who comes in and like gives this whole family a fucking facelift. She comes in and just brightens up their photos, brightens up their life. And, you know, like everyone's excited that she's there. The queen loves her. Prince Philip loves her. She gets along with everyone. She's fantastic. And she's beautiful. So now they have something to sell. The beautiful young princess getting her fairy tale. And... The truth is, is that Diana wasn't doing well. Her bulimia was getting worse. Like, the more that she struggled with her jealousy with Camilla. And I want to say this, like, I want to say this now. I feel like if at some point in the early in their marriage, if Charles and Diana had sat down and said, look, this marriage isn't going to be romance. It's going to be a job. You married me. Now this is your job. You can have lovers. I can have lovers. You just can't have children by them. Mm-hmm. I feel like Princess Diana may have had a better time of it. Yeah. I feel like they could have put rules and structures into it. Because that's what's happened in the past with mistresses is that, you know, they know the the king or queen has a mistress or a mister. I don't know what the male version of it is. And they know that. So they just make accommodations. You know, say like, we can't go to social places with Camilla there. I mean, it is what it is. So she wasn't adapting well. But there was kind of a little blip of a light in there. And in October of 1981, so very shortly after they got married, Diana found out she was pregnant with her first child. And it said at first it helped, but then due to her morning sickness and then her bulimia, she was not doing really well and it was not good. And I think her and Charles were fighting a lot because her mental health wasn't good. And after a fight that her and Charles had, and she tells the story, this isn't like someone else is telling the story on her. She tells the story. She threw herself down a flight of stairs while pregnant with William. And it was said that the queen found her. And that she was like all bruised up around her belly and everything like that. But we know that Prince William lived. He is still with us, balding ever so graciously. And I think she just was having a hard time because there was an... I don't think the expectation of what really was supposed to happen was sat down and explained to her. Like, this is who you're going to be. This is your role. I think it was like she was just thrown into it. And maybe they thought, oh, well, she's she's a lady. She has the etiquette training. She has this. She went to finishing school. She should know. I think Megan said it in her interview with Oprah. There isn't like a school that they teach the people who marry into this family. And this maybe should be their lesson that they need to create something that like when you become part of this family, you learn what you're supposed to do. Yeah, for sure. Back to the happy things in her life. On June 21st, 1982, His Royal Highness Prince William Arthur Philip Lewis of Wales, Duke of Cambridge, was born. Dude has a long ass name. Yup. <laughs> but we call him William, Prince William. Yes. Diana did have a really hard time with postpartum depression. And it was kind of captured. They did this photo shoot. And it was it's very traditional after a royal baby is born that shortly thereafter, a month or so, they take like official family photos with like the queen. And at the time, you know, Elizabeth's mother was still alive. The queen mother. Diana said, I guess they asked her like, would 11 o'clock be a good time to do photos? And she said, no, this would be a really bad time for him. I think it was probably like nap time or something, his schedule. And they're like, well, we're doing it at 11. So they had a crying, fussy William the whole time. And, you know, like the queen mother's like holding the baby and bouncing and it's crying and diana has to come over and like try to coax him into like being halfway okay with it but it's not working because 
he's probably hungry or wants to sleep, but nobody will fucking leave him alone. And I think Charles wasn't helping with the situation. He probably should have stepped in and been like, they're the fucking royal family. That photographer will stand there all day at attention if they ask him to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they could have let the baby sleep for like an hour or two. Like, wouldn't have been a big deal. Yeah, half an hour, you know, something. Exactly. Or take the photos with him asleep. Right. And so I think she kind of got him to sleep. And then she's in all these photos, but she just looks so sad behind the eyes. And that's kind of like how she is. And the thing that she said is that she was not involved. Like a lot of the pictures, they just wanted like Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, Philip, and Charles. Or some sort of like bettering of the royal family. But not so much her. Which I'd be like, oh no, I'm going to be in every picture because you're not taking this baby from my arms. I want to say though that it is known that the queen did like Diana. I think she was very fond of her. I don't know if Queen Elizabeth really goes into like really liking people or showing it outwardly. Though I do think she likes Meghan Markle a lot more than she likes Kate. Let's put that there. Pictures have been seen. She smells way more when Meghan's around than when Kate is around. And no, we will not trade them. They can't have our royals back. (laughs) Just saying. They're ours now. You gave that up. (laughs) Oh, my God. And also, it said that Prince Philip, Charles's dad, and Diana had a really loving relationship. It was very, like, father-daughter. In fact, she called him Pa, which I thought was just so adorable. Hmm. That is. I mean, because, like, he's a bit of a horn dog, And I can see where Charles is like, this is fine. Because, like, it's rumored, like, all of their marriage that Prince Philip, like, fucked around behind Queen Elizabeth's back. So Charles is like, well, that's what my dad did. This is what I do. Yeah. But I love that when their marriage was, like, when Princess Di and Charles's marriage was actually crumbling, she and um, Prince Philip wrote letters back and forth. And he was trying to comfort her and give her direction. So I thought that was really sweet because I don't think her father quite understood what it meant. And I don't think he could have ever been there for her in any other capacity. I kind of like liken it to the Princess Diaries when like the mom shows up and is like, I'm here for the day. But bye. <laughs> like, I'm out. <laughs> like that kind of thing. Things kind of settle down. And first time that Princess Diana is supposed to go on a royal tour. If you watch The Crown, this happens several times. When you're a young royal or youngly married, you're supposed to go on a tour. Royals don't bring their offspring. And a couple reasons why. First is you would have to travel together. Now, putting it in this sense. If Queen Elizabeth had taken Charles somewhere and their plane had gotten attacked, there goes first in line, second in line. So like William and George aren't supposed to travel together, which sucks. But like, that's the truth. Like William and Charles aren't supposed to travel together because they're successors like in the line. But the prime minister of Australia begged and they did, which I think was good for her. But they took him with them. But then he stayed in Alice Springs. And they traveled around the whole country. And while they traveled around the whole country, hundreds of thousands of people came out to see them. And they did not come out to see Prince Charles. Because mind you, he had just been there. Mm -hmm. I also think that this is probably a difference is like, he talks a lot about like, I was here three years ago. And I'm like, if you were just here, people aren't going to be that excited to see you. But you have a new bride. Of course, they're going to be excited to see her. Mm -hmm. And she was so accessible to the people. Like she went down and she would walk down the street and collect, like shake hands, like hug children, which I think goes back in with like being an empath. Like Mm -hmm. she took every single flower that was thrusted at her. Like she tried to take as many as possible and hold on to them as long as possible before someone had to be like, okay, you need arms. (laughs) 
And, like, I, there's this one scene where, like, this child kept trying, like, he was trying to hand it to Diana. It's in the documentary 1983, because it really just outlines their whole trip in very much detail. And this child keeps trying to hand Diana it, and her back's turned, and Charles keeps trying to take it to hand it to Diana, and the kid keeps moving it away, and I'm like... <laughs> I could see why he would be like, this is so frustrating. Like, I'm just trying to fucking help you, child. Like, give me the goddamn flower. (laughs) But this is where, like, Diana Fever started, like, sweeping the world because of the news that was coming out of Australia. She was sweet and down to earth and, like, willing to, like, talk to people, shake hands, hug them. And Charles was a little jealous that the world was liking his young bride more than him. In fact, several times in his speeches, he would make little comments. And Charles has this way of speaking where he says something slightly insulting and pauses and then clarifies it with like a nice thing, you know, where he's like, I consider myself lucky that she married me, you know, to take me on because I'm such a problem. But she made a face, right? Because she was like, what the fuck does that mean? Like, (laughs) cool. And then he makes a comment like, you know, because the crowd laughs and he's like, oh, you know, you never know what a lady's going to do when your back is turned and everyone giggles. And then another one, after they had been there for so long towards the end of their like Australian tour, he's because this is a six week long tour. Day in and day out, day in and day out. You know, he says in a speech, I should have had two wives, little pause, so that they could go down both sides of the street. And I could just stand and walk down the street in the middle and direct it. So paraphrasing that, of course. But you know, in that moment, she had to be like, when he said two wives, the fucking forefront of her mind had to be like Camilla. Yeah. Like he wishes that both Camilla and I were here. Whether he meant that at all, Tara mentioned it like she had really bad self-esteem issues. Like she was 19 when she got engaged to the fucking future king of England. Every decision that she made from that moment on about like her body, what she looked like, was going to be scrutinized from how much weight she would gain with a baby. I mean, just look at like what happened with Megan when she was pregnant, like she'd hold her stomach and the press were like, oh my God, she's so obsessed with being pregnant. She can't stop touching her belly, which I'm like, that's what pregnant women do, by the way. Right? It's not a thing that they know they're doing. (laughs) And most of the time they're doing it is when they feel like they need to protect their fetus. So that's more about you press, less about Megan. So when they got back, Diana was an even bigger funk than before. That trip was a toll on her. She didn't feel good about herself. She didn't feel good about her marriage. And they got pregnant pretty quickly after that. This is the happy part I can say. When they found out they got pregnant with Harry, she said that her and Charles became so close. Like through that whole pregnancy, she had hoped that their relationship was going to be a real marriage. They were like affectionately kissing in public. Yeah. Like they couldn't keep their hands off of each other. And I think it was like this moment where she was like, yes. And then Charles had started saying that he wanted a daughter. And Diana, they're not supposed to know. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be a fucking surprise for them. Mm-hmm. She saw on the monitor that it was a boy and she was like, shit. And she didn't tell Charles. Apparently she told William because in this documentary that I watched called Diana, Our Mother, William says that he remembers, which I'm like, dude, you were like a two-year-old, so (laughs) I don't believe you that much, but okay. That he remembers his mom saying that her tummy, this was Harry. Mm. It's like one of his first memories. And that it was cute because Harry was like, well, what were you thinking? He's like, that I couldn't wait to beat you up. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, there's a dynamic here I don't like. (laughs) 
So they're in this time period where everything seems really happy and euphoric. And I think she was trying to hold on to that as long as possible. And that got ruined the moment Harry came out because the second that Harry came out, and this is exactly what the documentary says that he said, or that she says he said, is that he looked at Harry and went, oh God, it's a boy. And then left. Um, sir... He's the handsomer of your children. Don't be a douche to him. I mean, kind of are, but that's not the point. But anyway, on September 15th, 1984, His Royal Highness Prince Harry Charles Albert David, Duke of Sussex, was born. And this was the end of the happy relationship between Diana and Charles. Diana was said to be a really good mother, like a really great mother. Like her kids came first. Um, She had a royal duties, obviously, that she was like, she couldn't get away from. But her kids were the most important. It's on Hulu that I watched it. It's Diana, our mother. And it's Prince William and Prince Harry. And they talk about their mother. And they talk about happy memories and things like that. And... You know, they said that, like, she would try to go out of her way to, like, make them feel normal. So, like, taking them to, you know, like, amusement parks and stuff like that. Even, like, before the divorce, like, really trying to do everything. Especially, like, once they separated, it was, like, Splitsville. Like, a lot of kids were feeling that. But, like, they were royal children. Like, Mm -hmm. royal children didn't do that. This was something that was completely new to them. So, they were navigating that. It was such a beautiful documentary because they go and they talk to people who knew her about like her charity work. And one of the things that like broke my heart was like Princess Diana was coming back. Like she was in Paris when she died, but like she was coming back from Bosnia where she was doing this anti-landmine. Like they were like digging it up. And Prince Harry is sitting there talking to these two men now. They were children when she saw them who had been like disfigured or lost a leg from a landmine. And he like it like you can see it's dawning on him. And he says like, you saw my mother more recently than I saw my mother. And I was like, oh, I started bawling. Mm. I was like, that is so powerful. The royal family does a lot with charity. And Tara's going to later talk about all of Diana's charity work. And it's a lot. But the fact that like she passed that along to her kids and she taught them like one of the things that her kids, both of them would say is, you know, she would hug them. And like, because they were shorter than her, they would run into her and hug her and she wouldn't let go of them until she was ready. And Prince Harry said, it's like, you were just stuck, you know? And I think about like how many times she just hugged them and didn't let them go for so long because she wanted them to know that love wasn't proper if you if you know what i mean like there's the proper thing where like maybe royal children before them weren't given that kind of attention and from the the moment they were born her whole goal was to love them so unconditionally when they asked her what do you hope for William when he becomes king? Do you want to help him change like something? And she's like, I'm doing it now. Mm-hmm. The way I'm operating, the what I'm doing, I'm helping change what William's life will look like. And I think he talks about in that documentary how he is with his kids, that he understands that he has to like, because he lost his mom when he was only 15, that every moment he spends with his kids is the most precious moment he can. And it's beautiful. It's so, so beautiful. Mm -hmm. I recommend watching it. (laughs) But yeah, 
I would definitely recommend watching the documentary. It was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. And I feel like I saw it somewhere else, but I can't remember what platform because like it popped up a couple times for me too, besides Hulu. So I was like, where yeah. was it? But I don't know. It might have been on HBO. Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Well, this is where we're going to end part one. We hope you enjoyed. We will pick up in part two and get more into things for y'all there. And we'll see you on Thursday. Bye. Bye. Bye.